So this morning we are going to talk about servants and masters. Um, We had a little taste of that earlier when we did our scripture reading. Um, Frankly, today is a little bit like an American's worst nightmare, thinking of the fact that of not having our freedom. I don't know that we can even fully understand that. So even as we're talking about this subject, servants and masters, um, uh, it's it's uh, something that we're going to have to stretch with a little bit, but we are going to relate this to work, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I do understand that not all of us are in the workforce here. Uh, some of you are retired. Some of you haven't gotten there yet, all right? So let me encourage you, take what you can from this, but if I could talk to the young people just for a moment, uh, your career right now, your job is to learn. It's your schoolwork and your homework. And so I want to encourage you, you can take some of these principles here and apply them, regardless of where you are in your school career, apply them now. And, and, and that is something that I believe is going to be honoring to the Lord. So just keep that in mind. But if you are an employer or an employee here, we're going to be talking to you today. So uh, as we kind of begin here, I just did the introduction. Sometimes I forget that slide. Um, I want to begin with uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 25. I have it up here on the screen. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Okay, God's not going to play favorites. His standard is going to be perfect, so we've got to keep that in mind. All right, but as, as we move forward here, um, we're gonna, we're gonna, you're going to see this slide several times, but I'm only going to highlight certain parts of it. But as we consider, first, as we're looking at servants and masters, a slave is a slave. There's no other way to say it. The very first word in the text indicates what Paul, who Paul is speaking to. Some translations use the word bondservant. We read that in the New King James, which gives the impression that his message is those who voluntarily became slaves. Um, that's really not the case. Uh, whenever you see the word bondservant in Scripture, it means slave. Okay? Um, I, I don't know exactly how or why it came over like that, but it means slave, all right? So that's how we're going to approach it. Now, it is true that people could indenture themselves or agree to become a servant for a time, but it is not the meaning here, okay? In other words, the exclusive meaning. Slaves were considered to be property. We're talking about the Roman Empire. So slaves and slavery in the Roman world uh, took place on a massive scale, Many sources consider that in the population centers, slaves made up between 20 and 30 percent of the people. There are far fewer, there were far fewer slaves, however, in outlying areas, and we can understand that because they probably could not afford them. Slavery in the Roman world was somewhat different than what slaves experienced in North and South America. Uh, fr- frankly, folks, in some ways, I wanted to kind of address that a little bit, but I just don't necessarily have time, nor is it specific to our our thing, our, our subject here, but I do just want to say that what happened in America still affects us because it really was a horrific thing. And I think that as we consider what slavery really is, uh, that, that would sink in. So, but in the Roman Empire, slavery was not uh, race or ethnic based. Slaves were most often prisoners of war. This included conquered people assimilated into the culture as slaves. So they didn't really care what your nationality was. You were just the newest crop, right? So if you kind of even picture in your mind the the Mediterranean area, um, the upper coast of Africa and the Middle East and a little bit farther east and and then parts of Europe, that was Rome. Well, there's all different nationalities there and the Romans didn't care. Again, once you were conquered, if they could use you into, their, into, into slavery, they would bring you in. Sometimes the poor and orphans were enslaved. Now, if you 
Think about it. If there was nothing to eat or no place to live, becoming a slave wasn't a terrible prospect. It wasn't a good prospect, but it wasn't the worst prospect. It is true that some slaves were treated very harshly and some experienced extremely hard or dangerous working conditions. Now again, I'm back to the Roman Empire here. These are primarily prisoners of war who were put into forced um, uh, labor in mines and then in also agriculture. So that's the ones that had the toughest job. And we can even say that's a tough job today, right? At the other end of the spectrum, a number of slaves served within a household. Some held respectable positions in business and accounting, management, skilled trades, even doctors and educators were slaves. Many of them were. We don't think of that today, right? The doctors are the ones who have the servants in the house, not the other way around. Anyway, in some households, slaves had fairly normal work days. All were under the authority of the head of the house, but some literally worked alongside their master, especially in rural settings. You just needed to have bodies to get the work done. Some slaves were allowed to earn their own wages, presumably on their own time or even from their master. It depended on how nice they were. If one was able, it was legal to buy property um, and possibly even purchase their freedom. Now, again, a master had to be um, okay with that. They had to approve that. But there's, there's quite the spectrum. And again, that's why it's different than what we think of as slavery, because you, you were a slave until you died. Now, some could be released, but that was not the mindset and that was not the norm in, in our country. So a brief recounting of the Old and New Testament references to slaves is what we're going to do next. And um, in some ways, it's, it's kind of interesting to see uh, s- some of the pictures that we see here. The term servant is mainly used, but it means the same as slave. They were regularly counted as part of the greater household. Abraham had a servant named Eliezer. And Abraham was so close to this servant that he actually asked God to make him his heir. Do you remember that? His slave. Exodus indicates that security and satisfaction could be found in being a slave. I want us to read together. Turn with me to Exodus 21. Exodus 21. And I'll be reading this passage for you from the first verse to the fifth verse. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go with him. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. Now, again, the master could decide differently, but that's the law. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master and my wife and my children, I will not go out free, that his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. All right? So here's the thing. A servant who was pleased with his situation in life, a slave, could say, I want to do this forever. I love my job. I love my family. And then he would basically get his ear pierced and presumably a ring that would identify him would be then put on him and he would identify himself with that house forever. Right? Now, why would you want to do that if you could have your freedom? Unless it was a good situation. Right? Joseph, you remember him. He rose through the ranks of the slaves in Potiphar's house, an Egyptian to a place of prominence. And as we could see, he had quite a lot of freedom in the home and was responsible for much. We see from the book of Ruth that Boaz and his servants had a good relationship. The kings and many of God's prophets had servants. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. Several of Jesus' 
parables and illustrations are based upon slaves. Since Jesus' stories were often intended to be taken from everyday life, let's look at a few of these. Now, here's the thing. These parables and these stories as illustrations, they had a higher meaning. We're just simply going to use them to illustrate some of the things that Jesus himself talked about and what it meant to be a slave. So the first thing we're going to do is turn back to uh, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. So what am I doing right now? We're talking about slaves. I'm giving you a picture of what it meant to be a slave. All right. And by the way, just talking to the young people again, be thankful that you are not a school slave. Right. <laughs> Might feel that way sometimes, but uh, you still have some freedom. All right. So here we go. Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling in a far country who called his own servants, his slaves, and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Now again, let me pause. We are very familiar with this story for what it means. Let's just look right now at what's happening, the dynamic between the master and the slaves, okay? Back to 15. And to, the, to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. Again, this is sums of money. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had tra- uh, received two gained two more. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought forth uh, five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. Didn't matter how much. What mattered is that they did something, right? I just lost my place. Thank you. Uh, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Got to watch you and pick your head up, right? Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, you have other people doing work for you, and I know that you are a demanding person. And I was afraid, verse 25, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there there is what you... What is yours? Now, let me just pause for a minute. We're going to learn some of these principles, but we're right here. Is this a good model for employment? I knew you demanded a lot, so I did as little as possible. Right? That's really what he's saying. Right? (laughs) Anyway, but his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Therefore, you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. And the idea here is at least that. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more who has more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, folks, that's where the spiritual definitely comes out. This is not a form of firing. Okay? (laughs) Just want to make sure you understand that. All right? Now, let's go on to another one. Uh, Luke chapter 12. We read this, but I want to just look, look at a portion of this. Verses 36 and 38. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if you should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them, find them so, blessed are those servants. And then just one more in Luke chapter 17. Verses 7 and 8 say this. 
of which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him. Now, by the way, this is, this is the master coming from the wedding. That was the previous one in chapter 12. He's, he's celebrating. He's having a great time. And here he finds his servants, his slaves, ready to wait on him. But he says, no, 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 I'm going to wait on you. Now, this is a little bit different story here, starting, in, starting again in verse 7. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and properly dress yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk and afterward you can eat and drink. That's more of the reality. Okay. Another thing to remember, Jesus healed the centurion surgeon, 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 <laughs> who was very dear to him. You remember that? His, his servant was very dear to him, and he healed him. In the book of Acts, when whole households responded in faith, that included the servants of that household. That included the slaves. But let's remind ourselves, even though there's some interesting and positive things some, sometimes to see here, slaves were property. Even those who had relatively good working, living conditions were not free. They just weren't. So let us keep several things in mind as we proceed here. Because we're going to be looking at those, those verses a little more closely. Paul had already stated earlier in this letter that there was neither slave nor free in Christ. Got to keep that in mind. Paul's instructions can be applied to all slaves, but he's primarily addressing household slaves in our context. It does matter a little bit because, because of just the dynamic. Also, we will apply these principles to our culture along the way. All right? So, we already said a slave is a slave. And we talked about that quite a bit so that you kind of get the weight of what we're talking about as Paul is now giving some instructions to servants. How a slave should serve is our next topic. Now, you may have already noticed in what we have read that a slave is to obey, and that's exactly what we see here. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters. This is the same word and similar phrasing for children to obey their parents. So Paul is telling slaves to do their jobs as they were instructed by their masters. It's just that simple. Do what you're told. That's what children are supposed to do with their parents. Do what your parents tell you to do. This is the same thing that a slave is required to do of their masters. Do what you're told. Again, can we, should we apply this to employment, to our, our work, uh, uh, wherever we're at? Yes, I do believe that we should do that. The next thing that we see in this passage is that slaves were to work faithfully. Slaves were to obey, but they were to work faithfully. And we see this in the next phrase, not with eye service as men pleasers. Now here Paul uses two negative phrases. Um, and, and some of these things, you know, we might use the word clock watcher, right? Or something like that. Even that has kind of gone off a little bit. That's kind of old, but we use terms like that. So he use these two negative phrases and they're designed to go together. The first one is not with eye service. They weren't slacking off while the boss was out of sight or away. All right? Now, I have been an employee on many different fronts. Um, I was not born a pastor. I mean, I know, I know that it, that might surprise some of you, but I have had other uh, different kinds of work, you know, uh, hauling shingles up, you know, to a third-story roof on a ladder, um, wrapping meat at a Kroger, uh, any number of things. Making donuts. I made donuts one time. That was fun. Anyway, so, so different things. I can't tell you that I never, so I will tell you that I have slacked off before when the boss wasn't around. I did not include eating as many donuts as possible. I'm just telling you that. But Anyway, so, so the, the point is, it happens, right? But we're not supposed to do that. It also says, not as men pleasers. The idea is to put on a good show when they're watching. All right? So you got two things going on here. One is, where's the boss? Okay, all right, let's play. Right? Or let me do something else. 
The other one is, where's the boss? Oh, see, look at the great job that I'm doing here while you're around, right? Now, again, I'm trying to include the young people, but I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I am tattling on you just a little bit. It's like when your parents walk in the room and all of a sudden the algebra book opens up, all right? Oh, I'm studying. Oh, my brain hurts so much. I need a snack, right? That's, that's not the same thing, all right? So not with eye service, not watching to wait to see where the boss is, and not as a man pleaser, hey, let me over, you know, uh, show what I'm doing to try to get your attention. Now today, there's all kinds of technologies and methods to track an individual worker's progress. And folks, I'm just telling you, I think some of those are awful. But I, I can't comment on that right now. What I can say is, you got to listen to your bosses. But what God expects the Christian, or God expects the Christian to have integrity in the workplace, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of whether what you're doing is metered, watched, evaluated, whatever, you're to do it because you're a believer. All right? Now, the next aspect, slaves were to focus on their work. Go figure. You focus on your work at work. You focus on your homework. You're supposed to be doing your homework. Sorry, I won't say that anymore. You guys got the idea. Anyway, it says, in sincerity of heart, not the way we just described, but sincerely. The phrase sincerity of heart means simplicity or singleness. The idea behind this was to stay focused on what the master expected the slave to do and not pursue other things, right? You stayed focused on the job at hand. Of course, our world is much more complex and there's different types of work. I understand that. There's different standards that are out there. But in general, it means that we aren't booking flights, playing solitaire, or having unnecessary conversations on the job. Now, again, like I say, what your employer may allow and, and how your workplace works might be different but you're supposed to be focused on what you're there for, what you're being paid to do. We have committed to serve the boss or company while we are getting paid, and we are to stay true to that. Now, the next part might be the most challenging part. I hope that I'm not speaking to people where, oh, man, really? When I go to work, I'm supposed to be working? <laughs> I can't figure that out. You know, I hope that that's not, you know, where we're at. But the next part is, now again, we're talking about slaves that Paul is speaking to. Let's not lose sight of that. Slaves were to work enthusiastically. Oh, man, look at what it says. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Do it heartily. Now, I am not trying to question anyone's work ethic. But I do want to encourage us to consider our outlook on our jobs. Our attitude toward our work shouldn't be shaped by what kind of boss we have, the different tasks to our work, or even what other workers may think of us or think of their jobs or whatever. It should be about getting the job done. As we kind of transition to the next part, the next principle helps make sense of Paul's instructions. Because the next part is, a slave's service to their master was to be done unto the Lord. Look at what it says there. We're to do it with sincerity of heart, fearing God. We're to do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And then he goes on to say, knowing that from the Lord you receive a reward. We'll get there in a minute. You serve the Lord Christ. Three times there is a reference back of servants ultimately serving Christ, not serving their masters. If we do our jobs for Christ, and that is our mindset, and that is our goal, then conditions and situations that change don't determine how we work. They shouldn't even determine the attitude within what we do because we're not doing it for them. Folks, I believe that there's some significant freedom here, right? 
There really is. This frees us up from all the drama that can take place sometimes. It frees us up from what our boss thinks about us. You say, wait a minute, he can fire me. Yes, he can. What did we read earlier in Luke 12? Don't be anxious about that stuff. Easier said than done, right? I admit that. But ultimately, you can't change what someone else has out for you any more than what you can do. Like, you can't ultimately, I say that a couple times now, change them, right? You might be able to, by your actions, persuade them, but if they are unpersuadable, is that a word? I don't even know. Then, then you know, if they got it out for you, there's nothing you can do about it. So even in the worst case scenario, this is for Christ and I'm going to trust him. But I, I do understand the vast majority of us, we're not in a situation like that. Okay, so let's move on. The next is the Lord promises a reward for faithful service as a slave. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Imagine how encouraged a slave now, someone who was not free, someone who couldn't necessarily come and go as they pleased. Certainly, they couldn't do that all the time. How encouraged they would be to know that no matter what conditions they find themselves in, the Lord promises an eternal reward for their service. Folks, do you think that that applies to you? Regardless of your job, there is an eternal reward for your service. Let's look at things from a slave's perspective here. I'm a slave, but my, my real master is my Lord and Savior. I have a greater calling and responsibility to work for my master as a follower of him. On top of that, no matter how my earthly master treats me, God will reward me for my faithful work. This is a promise. Knowing that. Folks, I hope that helps you get up in the morning, right? And get after it. And then lastly, God does also promise consequences for wrongdoing. Now, if you remember, in one of the passages we looked at, the servant was cut in two. I, I don't, he didn't go this far. Uh, we, we transitioned from, you know, uh, the Gospels, which were really Old Testament, Old Covenant, Transition to the new covenant, so now we have grace, right? <laughs> but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Uh, folks, I'm not going to dwell on this. I just want you to understand there's a very strong warning and hopefully an excellent, excellent deterrent from being a poor worker, right? From performing poorly at work. Now, this is not the same thing as just not being able to do a job that you've been assigned well, okay? I even think there's some compensation for that as we saw back in, in Luke chapter 12, right? One person, they didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing. They kind of got light wax, okay? So all of this to say that there are consequences. And so we need to understand that th this, is, this is not a parable at this point. This is not what could happen in a household, when a slave is doing something wrong, this is the Lord saying, we need to do our work and do it well. All right? But along with that, I, I think that there's an important aspect to this that we need to see, and it's our next point. A slave is still free. There's an aspect of slavery that means that we are still free, and I want to explore that. We start off in the very beginning. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. A Christian slave was only subject to their masters according to the flesh. That is, they were obligated for the physical and I guess we could even maybe say mental aspects of their service. Their spiritual service was for Christ. Every worker is ultimately subject to pleasing God on the job but that is actually, as we said, a freeing thing. In our spirits, we are the Lord's. 
Now, I want to add a layer to that equation that I think uh, illustrates this even better, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at this as I read for you, verses 21 through 24. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while, he, while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. So what we see from this passage here very clearly is that we, even if we were to be a slave to someone, we are free in Christ. That cannot be taken away. No matter what your situation is, and folks, I have known some people that um, they're in a job that they, they seem to not be able to get out of. Um, we lived in northern Indiana for a while, and the, the system that they had in the steel mills was that they changed your shift constantly, and it was very difficult to get off, and there's mandatory overtime and all these other things, and you were kind of locked in. You made great money, but you sent postcards to your family, right? I mean, sometimes. And that was the difficulty. That was the struggle. But then they would have significant times off as well at times. So it was, it was difficult to, to navigate all of that. And they felt sometimes as if they were a slave to the company. Sometimes we just feel that way. All right. I want us to understand that we are free in Christ. And as long as we are following him as to the best of our ability, then that freedom is something that we can and should experience even in these difficult situations. Amen. Let's bring us back to our context. These comments were to slaves as part of a series. And I'm talking about this, this passage here in 1 Corinthians. A series of instructions for first-generation Christians dealing with various situations. Some were now married to unbelieving spouses. They received Christ. Their spouse didn't. What do we do? Because we don't believe the same anymore. They're going to the temple and they're sacrificing things to, to you know, gods. I, I'm, I'm in Christ. Others came out of Judaism. Well, what do I do about that? Do I still you know, uh, observe the feasts and different things. So Paul instructs those who are saved as slaves in several matters. He says, don't be concerned about your station in life. It has no bearing to your relationship in Christ. Do you see that? He says, if you become free, take advantage of that opportunity. They may be slaves, again, but in Christ they are free. I'm kind of going down through this passage. And those who are free men are slaves to Christ. We already said that. But when someone belongs to Jesus, they are no longer to voluntarily make themselves a slave to someone else. Did you see that command there? Don't, don't enslave yourself to somebody else. Now, of course, in this culture, something drastic could have happened, and that might have been the case. But, man, that's not what we're supposed to do. I think on a practical basis, folks, we can apply this today as we consider excessive debt or a lifestyle that enslaves us to where we're kind of caught. So we need to be careful of that. But what I want to do now is talk specifically, I talked about the different ways that uh, culturally Paul was going through 1 Corinthians and trying to help them uh, navigate this. For example, did he tell people, oh, you're... you're um, Spouse isn't a Christian, pfft, get rid of him. Was that his advice? No, no, that wasn't what he told him. But he did say, if they don't want to be with you and they depart, you don't have to try to keep them. Now, again, we're talking about a marriage. We're talking about something that, that I'm sure that the person wanted to see succeed. But if they were able to live together, you know, harmoniously, even though they didn't believe the same thing, Paul said, stay there. Okay. 
So now we look at this area when it comes to slaves. And what I'm doing is I'm doing a comparison to the circumcised and the, un and the uncircumcised. Right, I mentioned that that was the Judaism was one of those. So look at regarding a slave, I have the King James remain with God in that state which he has called, which 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 he was called. In the ESV, it says, "So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God." Compare that to verse twenty, and I'm only looking at this section. It says, "Remain in the same calling." in which you were called, remain in the same condition in which you were called. It's, it's a little on the subtle side, but it's important. In the first part, which actually isn't the first part, the second part in the passage, but in verse 24, he's speaking to slaves and he's saying, whether you are slave or free, the important thing is remaining with God. Right? And the idea there is sticking with him. The second part is talking about the situation. So remember when I said that if you can't be free, do it? Paul is not advocating. Slaves, just be content with where you're at. Remember, I wrote to another church and said that. I'm content in whatever state I'm in. So just be content as a slave. No, I don't believe that's the case. I believe that we can and should better ourselves if we're able to. Part of it just comes down to the motives, right, folks? So these two verses show a significant difference in emphasis on what it means to remain. A slave is not being told that they should remain a slave. And because of that, I truly believe the principle here. And there's nothing wrong with advancement. Several of the examples used today, the things that we talked about when it came to being a servant, showed that advancement results from a job well done. Right? Whether you're talking about a parable that Jesus gave, an earthly example, or whether you're talking about Joseph. Now, it's when this is all-encompassing and when we have to just you know climb that rung and all those other kind of things right I, I gotta I gotta have this and do that and I gotta have my prominence at work and that's all I'm gonna identify with that's what we got to be careful of but we can and should better ourselves there's nothing wrong with that there's actually things right with that okay and there are times when you will be rewarded with more responsibility and hopefully more pay and you'll be advanced because of that. So consider that, all right? Now, we're going to move on here to um, our masters, how a master should manage. Now, this is going to be shorter, but I'm going to explain that in a little bit. A little bit. But we have Colossians 4.1. Why they decided, hey, let's break the chapter here. I don't understand, Okay. I wasn't alive back then and whenever they did this. But it says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So we have two terms here, just and fair. Justly, that's the same word for righteousness, right? A master is to deal with their servants in a godly manner, which means applying everything we studied about putting off Things like selfishness and anger and abusive and critical words. That's the things that we're to put off. But we're also to put on patience and kindness and humility. Now, of course, that means that uh, an owner of a business or a manager is supposed to just get run over by their employees, right? <laughs> I, got, I got a nod over here. I think you're probably relating more to homework, right? Yeah, if I just tell my parents it's done, they should just believe me. Right? So, <laughs> all right? so no, that's not the case. Um, <laughs> the godly manner means that we still have to run our business appropriately, okay? We can also add appropriate business ethics toward employees. Jesus said that a laborer is worthy of his wages. An owner or boss can look back at the book of Proverbs and talk about 
uh, all the different principles there in relation to how we treat one another, even on a business level, okay? So there is a, a justly way of running a business or managing people, and it's important to do that properly. Now, again, we'll talk more about that when we're, when we're looking at application. And then fairly. They're to be just and fair. So how do we do fairly? Our word here actually means equally. So this word goes farther than merely treating slaves equitably or properly. That really is covered in the justly part of things. God's standard is that Paul is commuting for the Christian masters that they are to treat their slaves as their equals. Wow. You mean because I own this place? Because we manufacture this and do that and because that's I am the brainchild that I am not the be-all, end-all? That I am not greater than those around me? Come on. That's not the way of Christ. Equal in authority? No. Equal as a person? Absolutely. Absolutely. So now let's bring this to a conclusion. I did that very rapidly. Okay. As we conclude, let's make it clear that the ultimate purpose was and is for both Christian slaves and masters, or employees and employers, to put Christ first. That's, that's the big takeaway. So whether we are doing our homework or whether we're digging a ditch or whether we're designing a new bridge or whether we're doing some other skilled labor or whether doing some other uh, uh, white collar uh, job, all of those things are to be done for Christ. If we are managing people or if we own the place and we're the ones who write the checks, we are doing all of that for Christ. Now, it's easy to see that there is much more written to slaves than there was to masters. Now, let's consider why. Just a couple of things to think about that as we make application. The employee is working for someone else, or the slave is somebody else, has a master. So there are inherent challenges to being loyal and to working hard. Think about it. Here's a, just for example, here's a conveyor belt, and I've got to do something to something while it comes down this conveyor belt. If I miss one, it don't matter to me. Right? Who does it matter to? Ultimately, the employer. Because if there's enough of those that go by, the person buying whatever you're trying to put together, or supposed to be putting together, is going to say, I don't want any more of those. It's just that simple. By the way, there's investment that is in the machinery that's bringing that piece to you. That's not your investment. Your investment is doing it or you're supposed to be doing to that thing that's coming down the conveyor belt. Right. Now, I'm being very simplistic to make a point. We can apply that in many, many other ways. I get that. But that's the challenge. It's not mine, right? Then there are the struggles with self-worth and simply being the one receiving the orders and expecting to perform, especially when we think well, there's probably a better way of doing this, and we might even be right. But it doesn't matter, really. You're supposed to do what you're told. So there's just that struggle with being under someone else. And I believe that this passage not only acknowledges that, but gives you a way to be free from that, which is to put Christ first. So we also need to state that some modern challenges, there are some modern challenges to these principles. Now notice I didn't say uh, Scripture doesn't apply. But think about this. And please understand, I, I'm, I'm being very careful as I tread into this. Union contracts, which contain rules and limitations, can force us to work in a certain way. In other words, I can't just go do what I want to do because these are the rules. And they actually are agreed upon by labor and management. And if I go beyond that, I'm going to get in trouble. 
Now, I'm just going to tell you, I would struggle with that. I really would. Um, you know, okay, my area is dirty. I'm going to clean it up. Nope, that's not your job. You know, I, 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 it doesn't compute. All right. But that's the way it is. There are certain skills. There are certain tasks. There are certain things that are levied out. And that is one of the modern challenges. Another one is with large companies. They can have very specific roles and policies. Why? Because they're managing a lot of people. And they can't be worried about this, that, and the other thing. They've got to keep things nice and tight. And that, therefore, more rules come down. All right? And so sometimes that even constricts what, what we might consider to be a, a good work ethic. All right? It can also play on our attitudes, our loyalty, and things like that. So both of these things we've got to be careful about because we've been instructed we can be free from those things. Now let's move on. I do think that the application primarily is for, for today is directed toward a small to mid-sized business, if you want to look at it that way, because that's really what someone would be having as a household. Now, when we think of Abraham, he had a whole bunch of servants. Remember that? He had a small army of servants because they served as his army at one time. And he managed a lot of things. So, mid-sized business to small business, so to speak. So I think these principles can be applied to our immediate group as well or to a unit or a team. However they're labeled in your workplace, they can be labeled on a smaller basis in relation to that, staying within the requirements that you have. The important thing is to consider how a biblical model can change the dynamic in the workplace. That's really what we're talking about. Again, whether you are the manager or the owner, or whether you are the employee, um, that's it, <laughs> then, then how, how it's applied, we can constrict it down into just my working group. I don't have to try to change the whole company. I can just be the right kind of employee here where I'm at. Work within my sphere. I can be the right kind of overseer, manager, and work within my sphere in relation to as best I can carrying things out in a biblical fashion. So again, the most important thing is to determine how a biblical model can change the dynamic of the workplace. We can affect this change to some degree by simply either being an employee for Christ or an employ employer or manager like Christ. So employees, let's just recap. Listen to your employers and bosses. Do your job. <laughs> Do your work enthusiastically and stay focused and don't take advantage of your employer. Employee, employers, sorry. Treat employees like people and not a commodity. Treat them in a righteous manner in every way. I truly believe this includes compensation, benefits, and considerations fitting the position. You have to maintain a business, and that is not easy. It's just not. But there should be something tangibly different about how you treat your employees or manage your group. Right? There should be a difference. So as we're thinking about this, what I'm trying to say is going back even to all those things that were to put off and all those things that were to put on, how we're supposed to keep Christ first in all things, how we're to treat one another in general, how love is supposed to be all a part of this. Again, we're not talking about being naive. We're not talking about being taken advantage of. But at the same time, what we're talking about is having our workplace be some, somewhere where as best as we can, we can live out the commandments of Christ to make a difference in somebody else's life, to be more effective. And yes, even as an employee, you want your company to succeed. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, folks. I've never been able to figure out, regardless, you know, it doesn't matter, union, you know, small business, whatever. I've never been able to figure out this whole battle between the worker and the owner as if somehow we're not going somewhat in the same direction. Because if 
the business suffers, then you lose your job or you get a pay cut or whatever. But if you do your job, and of course they have to manage well, I get all that, then you keep your job. Is it, that, is it that simplistic? No. I understand there's a lot of factors involved there. But I'm saying as a rule, as a rule, we don't worry about the stuff that we can't control. That's what the Lord told us. We put Christ first, and when it comes to our work, we do it right. And we do it right ultimately because we want to please Jesus and because we're going to get rewarded for it. All right? Employers. You have a boss too. <laughs> Employees will be answerable to their ultimate boss for their jobs. You'll be answerable to your boss for your job. All right? Uh, that's a warning. But along with that, that's actually a blessing. Because if we're doing those things, whatever our role is righteously, we will be blessed. Do you believe that? Does this help you with your homework assignment that you haven't worked on yet for tomorrow? Yeah, been there, done that. Does this help you with your job that seems mundane or frustrating? I hope so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we just want to thank you for how practical your word is. Boy, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about the, the supremacy of Christ. We were talking about just how amazing and great he is, not because of what he's done, but simply because of who he is, who you are, our God. And now we're talking about the nuts and bolts of how we're supposed to work and how we're supposed to put you first. But you have given us an amazing foundation to work from that. And so whether we're employee, employer, Lord, I pray that you will bless those around us, that you will bless those businesses that we're involved with because we're putting you first. It just might be that we can change the culture a bit, that we can help people even notice what we're doing and why we're doing and how we do it. And ask a simple question. Why, why do you do what you do? May we be ready to tell them, I do these things because God saved me. We thank you. We thank you for your salvation in Christ. We pray that everything that we do is for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.